If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by writer and author Gillian Harvey. Gillian, thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? I'm great and thanks very much for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. So on the show, we like to start by learning a little bit more about our guest. Could you perhaps tell us about your background and how you got started as a writer? Okay, well, um, I always wanted to be a writer for as long as I can remember, a real childhood ambition for me. But uh, like a lot of people, I was encouraged to have a backup plan, which um, was teaching. And um, I spent 10 years teaching in secondary classroom in in the UK and enjoyed it for the most part. And then in 2009, my husband and I decided to move to France. It was really very much on a whim. We just wanted to try something new. Um, get out of the rat race that we were in at the time and uh, we haven't really looked back and um, we've had five children over here (laughs) and during that time of sort of looking after them I I did a writing course and really started to take writing a bit more seriously do freelance writing and um, all the time you know throughout my life really I was writing novels um, with no real success and then uh, gradually I think uh, my style matured and what I had to write about came about a bit more and in 2018 I got an agent and um, a book deal for my first two books which came up with Orion they were sort of humorous rom-com type books and then now I'm writing about uh, everything in France really setting my fiction in France and kind of re-embracing my love for the country that I've now lived in for 13 years. So Now, we've all made drunken purchases and bids on Amazon and eBay, or at least I have. Um, but Lily, in a year at the French farmhouse, takes this to a whole new level. Um, released toward the end of September 2020, uh, 2022, this is a book um, I absolutely adored i've uh, read uh, i've read um, digitally on on kindle and also listened to the audiobook as well it's just fantastic i loved it i wondered if we could learn a little bit about a year at the french farmhouse um how that came about and perhaps a little teaser for those uh, for our listeners who may have not had a chance to read it just yet i ever since i i got my agent um she said well why don't you set something in france um, which is an obvious an obvious thing i suppose to say to me and my answer was always that I just I didn't want to do it just for the sake of it I had to have that right idea and um, the idea really came to me in a flash just a couple of years after she suggested it Um, what could land someone in France in a a funny way rather than just someone moving because they planned it and got a mortgage or whatever yeah and it was this idea of making an impulse purchase 
on eBay. We've all done it, as you say, not necessarily drunk and not necessarily a house, but in the past I've ordered things and they've been a lot smaller than I expected, or maybe they've been just a completely different item from, and when I look back, I think, oh, I just didn't read it properly. And um, I needed the protagonist, Lily, to be really in the state where she might do something that's no more of an overt than that, which is why she'd had a few glasses of wine in the book and uh, accidentally fulfilled a long life dream of, of having a property in France. So it was that kind of moment of realizing um, that she might think, you know, what have I done the next day? And that, that sort of pinged into my head. And I thought, yeah, I can, I can use that idea and I can, I can set a story in France, but in my, on my terms. And that's how it really came about. The internal conflict within Lily, um, the struggles of, of self-belief and, and, and questioning her own sanity at some points of setting out on a new life uh, without the character Ben and Ty, I, it, it was so well done. And as a reader, I found myself deeply relating and understanding her struggles, even though I hadn't necessarily been in that situation myself. Um, Lily taking incredibly brave steps in this new endeavour, um, even though she wasn't always confident that she was doing the right thing. It added so many layers to her character. Now, when creating a character, do you have their internal struggles worked out before writing or is it something that is adapted, you know, adapts through, you know, the early drafts? I would say a bit of both. I think usually you've got this kind of character and you have a sense of them, right? Or I at least have a sense of, of who they are that you, that you feel more than anything else. And then you think, well, what will drive her to do this? And you build up aspects of her character. And I think as well as you're, as you're writing, I, I sometimes think if I missed a day in my writing schedule, would the book be a totally different book? And you never really know because even though I plan out the chapters um, to mm. a certain extent, life takes over and I think, oh, I wrote that because I was feeling a bit like this or, or that happened. And you, you realise that things, even if it's just feelings, are, are built into the book as you write them. So mm. I think it's a bit of both. And I think you couldn't possibly, or I certainly couldn't really plan enough layers to make a complete human within my sitting down and planning stage. And I think it's just something that comes a little from the subconscious, a little from external influences and, and builds up as you write, I suppose. And sometimes it can really surprise you. you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I want, now I know why she did that. Or they'll suddenly do something you don't quite imagine they're going to do at the beginning. And that's that's kind of a fun aspect of writing, I think. So I've, I've got some questions um, about how you, uh, you sort of structure your schedule just in a little bit, if that's OK. Um, but there is there's such fantastic loving banter and general dialogue between let's say uh, Emily and Lily and that is so infectious and their relationship is gorgeous and I think we all need a friend like Emily um I wondered if you could tell us about your process of writing believable and enjoyable companions and friends does this come naturally to you is it was it a process how did that how do you take a look at you know writing good friendships it's an interesting question because I I don't really know and I think what it, it just I've, I'm very visual in my imagination and I think I can picture the the characters talking to one another and and mm. how they spar off one another and it that part of it that sort of interaction comes quite naturally and I suppose probably on some level I'm drawing on conversations I've had in the past or 
fun moments I've had with friends in the past as well, um, but certainly not on a conscious level. So I think it's, I always want to put a bit of humour and a bit of light into books, even if they've got those kind of darker themes as well or, or more yeah. emotive themes. And I think Emily is very much that in the book in that she brings that side out and she enables some jokes to go in without detracting from the, the more serious moments in the narrative. So um, to answer your question, I'm not quite sure where it all comes from, but <laughs> I, I think it's just watching, it's almost like watching a story unfold and, and again, taking the role of each character and working out. And then when you go back through, you can see moments where you could draw a bit more humour in or someone said mm. a word and you, you pick it up. So it just kind of evolves, I suppose, as the, as the book comes together. You hear a lot about authors um, drawing from, you know, real conversations they overhear. You often, you know, hear about the cliche of sitting in a coffee shop overhearing, you know, over listening to uh, conversations and stuff. Does does that resonate with you? Are you a person who's always kind of out and looking for, you know, funny lines that people see or, or ideas for plot or, you know, does that is that something that you're actively looking for? I think more so now, yeah, um, because I'm writing at a, a greater rate than I have in the past. And I think what used to happen is that, unbeknownst to me, I would be storing those those little details. And um, when I'd read back, sometimes if I'd read back something a year later, I'd, I'd suddenly think, oh, yeah, I know what that was. Now, um, once in a while, someone will tell me something, I think, oh, you know, let's make a little note of that in my brain. Um, a friend the other day was telling me how he met um, a work colleague who ended up not being very nice to him in a bar and um, gave him a sort of man hug. And because he'd been putting um, sun cream on, he left a big white handprint and armprint on his back and uh, <laughs> decided not to tell him because of the way this guy behaved. And I thought that is going in a book at some point. And I'm not sure when, but those sort of things are real gems, aren't they? And you, you yeah. do find yourself storing them away, definitely. There are characters in the book, uh, such as Chloe, uh, Claude, and of course, Frederic. Um, they, ha they each have beautifully unique voices. Have you any advice on writing characters with how to make them feel like real and unique, you know, their own their own entity as a character? I think that when I first started writing, um, right at the beginning of, of my just even trying to write a book, it, basically every character ended up being a little bit of a version of me um, and how I would think. And I think over time you you learn to notice more about people and try to give them more of a distinctive purpose within the novel. So I suppose it's just it's just thinking about what what sets people apart, little quirks that they might have or ways they might they might speak. And and sometimes it is based on the aspects of people I know or people I've met in the past as well. And I also think probably probably just as you go through life as well, you you kind of evolve through different personalities yourself. So you you can kind of compartmentalise a little bit more as well. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I don't necessarily sit down and think, how am I going to make them really unique? How am I going to make this person stand out? But I, I suppose I know what each person is bringing to the story and that might help them to have that kind of unique aspect to them. Do you find yourself naturally writing funny lines? Because there's some really great lines that just come out and, you know, have you laughing and it can just, it just adds that extra element. Is that, is that something that kind of comes naturally to you? Is that, is that something that you add in afterwards or? Um, it's something that I can't seem to stop happening. Um, <laughs> and I think really, I mean, 
in person, I'm quite a shy person. And um, maybe I just um, hold back those anecdotes and, and put them in the book instead. I don't know. But I, I always remember um, when I was younger and I used to sort of go to the pub, I'd be lots of laughter around me. And, and I think, you know, having a drink helped to release that. And maybe in, in the book, you know, it's these little kind of quips that, that just tend to naturally occur. I, I try to write seriously um, as well, but I do find that I can't help myself that these things come up. I don't know whether it also has something to do with living with five kids and we're always messing about. And so there's, there's that kind of lightness um, yeah. in the background as well. But yeah, I mean, I just, um, I write, I freelance as well. And I do sometimes find that my humor will come into some of the articles I write. And I just wrote a piece <laughs> for a magazine where I was writing about ships being built in the war and I somehow managed to bring in the song um, what is it good for ship building um, <laughs> and it was uh, I'm not sure whether that's going to get past editorial but yeah it is something that that seems to come quite naturally in my writing for sure Lu um, now, Lucy Scott um, brilliantly narrates the audiobook version. Um, now, we do talk a lot about audiobooks uh, on this show, um, as, as the title may give away. I'd just love to know, are audiobooks, you know, audiobooks a regular um, a way that you enjoy, you know, consuming books yourself? Uh, do you find yourself listening to that many audiobooks? Yeah, I, I probably was an early-ish adopter of audiobooks, I would say. I mean, depending on how far you go back, but... When they when they started to be digitized, um, I I was listening to them quite regularly, and that was a lot to do with the fact that um, at the time I had young babies. Um, I also had went through postnatal depression, and I needed something to kind of lift me. And when when you're doing all the kind of day to day nappy changing, wiping up of motherhood, then yeah. you can't be reading, and you're tired, and so I, I just love it. And, and now I still, I always have an audiobook on my phone. So if I'm going to the supermarket, streaming it, it just feels like you're wasting less time somehow, I think, as well. You can do the mundane stuff and, oh, I've got to clean now because actually I'm really enjoying listening to an audiobook. So, yeah, I'm, I, I listen to two or three a month, definitely. I really enjoy that way of, of reading. As you, as you say, it can be it can be so helpful, especially if you know you're having to multitask or you um, or you don't necessarily have the time to sit down and read as much as you'd like to. It's just it makes it that more accessible, doesn't it? Um, I'd love to know more about how you schedule your working day. Are you a believer of a of a strict routine? Do you prefer to have flexible writing times? Could you could you walk us through a, t a, t a typical working day? As as much as possible, I try and work in the morning. So that will be usually at the time when the children have gone to school so nine o'clock I'll sit down and I'll I'll work flat out till lunchtime and then um in the afternoon it's more it's sorting out and that sort of element of writing or I'll write features and sort of day job type pieces but when I'm working on a book it's literally it has to more or less be the first thing I do because my brain is really fired up in the morning and, and if I leave it to the afternoon it's just that spark's gone a little bit. I can force it if I need to, um, but not. it's not the same. I, I just kind of love falling into it and the children go and I just sit there and it's my time and I can really disappear into, into my writing. Um, so I suppose it might be to do with energy levels. Um, obviously, it's it's got a lot to do with convenience of the time as well, mm. but I, I'm definitely a morning person. Um, 
when I'm writing as well, I when I used to write novels that before I got published, so there was no real deadlines and mm. um, you, you're always a bit like, well, why am I doing this? Is anyone ever going to read it? I, I would write sporadically. So I do kind of six days and then I'd leave it for a few days and I'd have to read it. And I've, I know now that when I'm writing, I write a chapter a day. If I'm working on a book, get up, get everything out of the way that you need to get out of the way and then a chapter and however good it is. And I've learned you, not to stop and go back and edit, but just kind of get that draft out. And uh, that seems to be how I do it best now anyway. Fantastic. How much do you like sort of plan and plot before you start writing a novel? Is that is or are you are you you want to get straight into writing or is there a, a like almost like a research stage? I, I've, I've evolved really since writing my first published novel um, because that was very much, I, I start with, a, with an idea and um, I still do that so that this idea for the French farmhouse of, of making that purchase and having to try and make it work retrospectively, that was, that was the, the core of it. Um, but I've, I've learned, I suppose, that a bit more about how to build a novel. When I first wrote a novel, the idea of the word count was overwhelming and I don't, mm. couldn't hold that story arc in my mind. I just couldn't, I just have to write a few chapters, then plan the next few, then do it like that. Um, but since then, and, and connecting with other writers and learning what works and mm. um, reading books like Save the Cat Writes a Novel, that's a, a really popular one. I've, I've learned a lot more how to structure. And I, I would say that a year at the French farmhouse was one of the first ones I really planned in more detail and I'm starting to enjoy that more um, I'm a kind of I'm an impatient person so I get the idea and I want to write it I want to write it and I'm I have to now let that idea ferment a little bit and mm -hmm. I force myself to plan because I know that I'll come up with better product at the end of it so yeah how does your process change um, for when you're writing, you know, a feature, writing something for a magazine or a newspaper? How does your writing process change, you know, when you're working on those things as opposed to writing on a novel? Um, it depends. I mean, if I'm writing something that's very much, um, uh, I guess, quite a dry subject. So I write a, a bit for a medical website. And so I'll be writing, I don't know, fungal toe infections. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it really is just a case of interviewing a couple of experts and trying to put it together in a, in a I don't know, a, a digestible way as much as, as you can. Yeah. Um, and I, I think really I just tend to churn something out and, and go back and edit it and that, that's that. Whereas writing, I, writing something creatively, um, it feels almost like, I, I just enjoy it in a whole different way. And I think, or if I'm writing like an opinion piece, so it's very much from me, I, I try out ideas in my head. I'll do some of the writing and I'll be doing something else and another idea will come and I'll run upstairs and write it down. So it's, I'm much more in it, I think, when I'm writing creatively. I, I dive into it and, and I just, I love being in that zone when I'm when I'm creating and thinking about it all the time. Whereas, you know, the fungal toenail infection, you, you shut the computer and you, you, you don't think about it again or try not to. So, yeah, it's, it's very much a sort of love and, and tolerate situation with those two things, I think. Do you find yourself, because having to obviously research and, and interview experts, as you say, on, on, a various, um, on various topics, do you find yourself being incredibly good at, at cocktail parties and being able to remember random facts from the past? 
I'm a, I would say I'm an amateur doctor at this stage. I, I'm quite good at um, knowing what's wrong with people. Like, oh, have you read this? And that, I've just written about that. Or occasionally I'll, I'll pitch a piece because I think it'd be really useful to talk to a, an expert pediatrician on, on fussy eaters or something like that for yeah. my own life. So, um, yeah, I think you, you do accumulate random facts certainly in this field. And uh, it's all interesting. And I think in many ways it can feed into the main writing because um, the book I'm just thinking over at the moment, there's going to be um, a, a minor accident in it, in a, in a French chateau. And um, I did an interview series for a English language newspaper in France about different kind of hospital experiences that people had had. And I know that's going to, provide a good basis for some of the things that happen, even though at the time I didn't know I was going to write it. So yeah, I've got a, I've got a store in there somewhere when I can tap into it. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask when you, when you are writing features or writing for um, you know newspapers and and other things like that. You, that must be incredibly helpful when you when you are sort of looking for ideas and and ideas for plot and characters and things because you must come across so many random things and just think that's that's going to be the next one. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the things that's been really inspiring for me um, as, a, as a features writer is I write a lot of um, real-life stories for women's magazines, but not the kind... I, I stay away from the gruesome ones because mm. I just... I always think, yes, I, I need to make an income, but I always think I, I'm here to make people's lives better with writing. I'm not interested in exploiting anyone. But mm. because of that, I've written... Um, I, I started writing these sorts of features when I was about 30 and I was always going women over 40 doing this and doing that and, and I'd have to interview these people and it gave me a whole appreciation of, of the age bracket I'm in now because I had a certain fixed idea of what women over 40 were like when I was 30 and um, I've just interviewed some incredible just ordinary women not not celebrities but they've gone out and done these amazing things and um i think that's probably given me a lot of background ideas for characters even in a subconscious way i just know that that demographic are so capable and actually really open to having an adventure and throwing caution to the wind and that's definitely fed into some of the things i've written have you always been a consistent writer Yes, I've always been writing. I've always been writing something, um, not necessarily as many hours or many sort of consistently in that way as I do now. Um, partly because of life, but even when I was, I don't know, seventeen, eighteen, I'd have a notebook on the on the bus and, and writing down things. Um, if I was at work and there was some moments, I'd be writing and opening to something. So I think it's just something that I want to do. Yeah. On, a, on a very sort of cellular level, cellular level almost, where <laughs> I really want to kind of just tell stories. Yeah. With any freelance career, paving your own path, as it were, um, there is always um, uh, some level of uncertainty uh, lurking in the distance. And I wondered if the you know dealing with uncertainty part of 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 your creative life did did that come easy for you was it a work in progress like how are you dealing with the unknown pretty good now but um I think it's something that's I mean in my when I was younger let's say in my 20s early 30s I was crippled by anxiety absolutely floored by it and um a lot of that a lot of being able to overcome that 
has been learning. The, the very first thing one of my therapists said to me was, you have to learn to uh, deal with an uncertainty. It's part of life. And it took me a good decade to actually realize exactly what that meant. Um, mm. And I think in doing so, I, I know that if I let myself worry about something too much, everything will come flooding back. So I keep myself, I like to think of my brain as one of those, you know, those games where you're rolling a ball bearing around and it can't drop down the hole. Yes, yes, yeah. So I keep my mind, that's on top, all the anxious stuff is there. And then there's one of those games and the ball bearing can't go down a hole because if it goes down a hole, there's a whole host of places it can go. So I, yeah. I, I've learned that way of sort of controlling and thinking, okay, I accept that and I can park a thought and move on. And I think that's helped me remain calmer in situations that are uncertain um, in life and a little bit in writing. Although when you're waiting to hear back from an editor or something, there's, there's nothing quite like that uncertainty. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay at it. And part of that makes me think, well, I didn't, I didn't get an agent until I was sort of 39. I didn't get published until I was 40, but maybe that wait was worthwhile because mm. I'm able to deal with what being a published author is. And as you say, it can be um, hit and miss. It can be uncertain. And there's a lot of self-doubt, no matter how, how well things go. The more writers I get to know, the more I realise we're all trembling little fragile creatures underneath <laughs> it all. So, Yeah. I think uh, uh, something that we hear um, or I have heard um, doing this show is people writing in and they're writing a novel or they're wanting to write a novel and they're kind of, they have this sort of shared feeling of being almost kind of scared to write in case it's not perfect or maybe they'll start and they'll really like the beginning but end up trailing off towards the end because they'll lose that kind of they, they don't think they're in the right state for it they don't think they're right in the right space and sort of this idea of having to create the perfect uh, you know writing environment have you got any advice for people who are who are going through that yeah i i think even now um so i've written i've probably written about eight novels and um but not all published, obviously, but, but you get that sense of around 40,000 words is the real doldrums. And um, mm. however many books you've written, um, I've spoken to other writers about it and they, sort of, they say, yeah, 30 to 50 can be a bit dodgy because you think, well, where is this even going? And what am I doing? And you know what the, the kind of all singing or dancing ending is going to be like. And you love the beginning. And sometimes you just have to write through it. And um, because when you go back and revisit it, it won't be as bad as you think. And also it can be edited. There's, there's that saying, isn't there? I can't remember who said it now, but about you can't edit a blank page. And I think yeah, you've just got to get those words on the screen or on the pad. And then you've got something to work with. And um, I mean, the number of times I think during any process where one minute you think you're great, then you think you're awful, then you're embarrassed if someone else is reading it and, and it doesn't stop. And I think maybe just learn to let that doubt just work away in the background and, and do it anyway. Yeah. That would be my advice. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Um, are you a person who, who sort of thrives from working on various projects at the same time? Or do you like to stick to, you know, as, as, as least many projects at the same time? How, how does your brain work best um, when ju juggling projects? Well, I think 
I like, I would like to imagine that I'm great at just focusing on one thing, but I never get the chance to, to find out because there's always <laughs> lots and lots of things going on. But I think naturally, actually, I'm, I'm quite a juggler. And maybe, maybe that's part of just how my brain works because before I um, was really writing full time and when I'm, now I'm doing that with the features and interviewees, you're always picking up a bit and then putting it down. And sometimes my brain feels like it's in a spin. And I think, oh, or, or once in a while, I'll, someone will ring me and go, oh, interview. And I'm thinking, who are you? And it takes me time to, so I'm, I'm not in my comfort zone when I'm juggling in some ways. So maybe there's a sweet spot, I'm not sure. But um, I, I think that I, I always like to be doing, if I wasn't doing lots of different writing projects, I'd probably have my writing project and have other things going on around it. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm a bit I'm undiagnosed, but I, I do think I might have ADD because I've, before I was, before I actually got the, the novel um, properly underway, I was also trying to play the cello and I was learning how to do some certain cooking and I was thinking I'm going to um, start a website. And there was this moment where I thought, what do I really want to do? And I, I actually sold my cello because I thought, I need to be, I can't be a jack of all trades, I can't, I'm never going to get any good at any of them. So, yeah, yeah, that's a rather weird answer, I think I've just no. given you. But, but the idea, is, I suppose, is in an ideal world, yes, I'd love to just be able to focus on one project, but I think maybe what comes out of the, the juggly life that I lead is richer because of the, the juggle. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> a goal of uh, of many writers and, and aspiring authors is is to gain representation uh, with an agent. I wondered if you had any advice on how best a writer can give themselves the, the best opportunity to be represented. Well, I think I've learned retrospectively um, because I'm in a, a group of writers. We all got published in 2020, and you can imagine we we got quite close as a result because it was such a weird time. And it amazes me that so many of these writers really went through a lot of selection to to find the right agent. And I was just, well, I just never thought I'd get an agent. So my method was to open the writers and artists yearbook, open it on a page, and stick my finger on it and say, right, do they do women's fiction? Yes, they do. I'll send it to them and think, well, maybe fate will have a hand. And um, yeah. maybe fate did. It took me a long time to get an agent and maybe that was my method failing me. But um, I ended up with the right one and um, she's really become a friend. She's a, she, it's Jen Nicole at the Book Bureau and she works for herself. And I think she's just, fiercely passionate about her clients and when I went through a difficult phase where I wasn't quite sure where my career was going she mm. never sort of lost step she always was encouraging me and believed in me even when it felt like nobody else did and so I, I really landed on my feet but if I was to wipe the slate clean and um or for she retired and I needed a new agent I'd definitely research and I'd look at the different clients that they have and I, I suppose what I missed in the beginning was that belief that it could happen. I think you've got to say, yes, this is going to happen and act accordingly. Otherwise, you'll, you'll end up kind of jumping into the unknown and maybe it will work out, but maybe it, maybe it won't. So. Absolutely. The first, um, the first guest I had um, on this podcast was actually uh, thriller author Cara Hunter. And uh, she was telling me uh, that 
during lockdown, uh, she was telling me that all of her author friends all had various sort of reactions to lockdown creatively. Um, she was telling me that, you know, some of her friends hadn't written a single word and then some had written double the, you know, double the amount that they usually would. I'd love to know how did you sort of find yourself during, you know, the, the, the frequent lockdowns that we had during COVID? Did you find that was a good space for you, you know, creatively or, you know, how did you how did you find that time? For me, it was it was obviously a strange time, but I think my main focus during that time was trying to keep things as normal as possible. Mm. Um, mainly with with the children um, being at home, I just thought if we can get through this without it affecting them, the most the biggest worry I had was was for their mental well being and and yeah and to be happy. And we were quite we were quite lucky we'd moved into a, a house um, just before lockdown um that has a very big garden and the weather was good here in France and so we had one of my sons turned to me and said this is the best day of Covid so far and one of the days when we did a kind of water slide in the garden so my focus was mostly there and for me to, to kind of stay sane and keep on top of things I I kept my working routine very similar yeah um I think one thing that really helped me when it came to writing was the, that I was able to leave the, the COVID world and, and enter a, a normal world through my books. So you feel like you're kind of bathing in that world when you're writing about it. And so I suppose I had my little trips out in, into fiction land. Um, yeah. But in terms of my output, I don't think it made a huge amount of difference, um, mainly because of the children. I think if if we hadn't had children and we had all that time, I'd probably have written a thousand novels in a time or something. So, <laughs> I think it was so important to try and keep your routine as as sort of same as uh, as possible. Now, one French summer releasing on Valentine's Day, I believe, uh, of this year. Um, is there anything you can tell us about this book and and what our listeners can look forward to ahead of that release day? Yeah. Okay. So, um, it's all about this idea of um, reinventing yourself and versus being stuck. So the the main character, Katie, she is in a relationship um, where her husband has asked her for a break. Um, Mm. They're not really on the same page with that. And she's a teacher and has these teacher friends and they, they just whisk her away. They just say, okay. And it's, it's very much about friendship um, and it's also about what we can learn from other people there. So there's a very strong um, woman who runs the, the Maison d'Art, which they go and stay in. And she inspires her. And I suppose without wanting to give too much away that Katie, on the, just taking a step back from her life, is able to see a lot about herself and her relationships and what she actually wants versus what she needs. And mm. it's it's really an, an eye-opening two weeks for, for all of the, the women, um, centering around this this close friendship that they that they have together as well. Fantastic. Well, I for one will have my copy pre-ordered 
uh, <laughs> very soon. <laughs> I just wanted to ask, and uh, you know, this may be a completely vague question, so apologies in advance. Um, but I'd just like to know, have you any sort of plans or, or wants to explore other mediums uh, of writing down the line, you know, that is sort of, you know, on stage or, you know, screenplays or, and things? Have you have you experienced in those other mediums? Are you, are you wanting to take a look or are you happy sat with novels and, and, and everything else that you do, not saying you don't do enough as is? <laughs> um, I would love to um, have one of my novels adapted for screen or stage that would be amazing but I think that I would love an expert to take it off my hands to do that for me um maybe in the future if I've got if I do have more time and I can imagine a time where I might want to explore that a little bit more um and I'm I have had a little dabble at, at writing a sitcom I haven't got very far with it but I've read up on that I quite like the idea of writing something funny um yeah. but maybe maybe the idea will present itself one of my real passions is is poetry and kind of um humorous poetry as well so i there's not much i wouldn't quite know what to do with it right now but um from time i do find myself scribbling down a, a funny poem so there's there's scope but i think my heart is very much in the novels yeah fair enough I um as we as we uh you know sort of close close down the uh the interview I would just like to ask when you're not writing what can we often find you up to Um well I I probably trying to do really boring things around the house like find the floor under the dirt and that sort of thing but if I had actual time free time that that here is a thing for some people. Um, <laughs> I, I used to love going to musicals. I I do love yoga. I do a bit of yoga and I should do more. Um, I like just really spending time outdoors where around where I live as well. We, we live a, among the sort of, they call it the Lake District of France. So there's lots of lovely lakes. And I'm finding more and more that I'm moving away. I used to love going shopping and and being distracted from life by bright lights and things like that. And now I try much more to kind of, uh, sounds really cheesy, but be at peace with myself and enjoy the environment that I'm in. So I suppose with more time, I'd probably be doing um, walks and painting and that sort of thing. So very, very kind of dull, boring stuff. But uh, at the moment, it's mostly just trying to work out what's for tea and seeing what I've got in the cupboards <laughs> and getting stressed over who's got homework that night. That's, that fills up all the rest of my time at the moment. I'd love to, um, I'd love to end, the, end the show by simply asking you if you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about that we can look forward to. Of course, we've, we've mentioned One French Summer. Is there anything approaching the diary that you're, you know, you're working on or what's coming out um, that, you're, that you're looking forward to? Um, well, I'm beyond the, the one French summer that the next book is is in the pipeline and um, that's going to be all about a um, TV renovation show set in a, a French B&B so cool. kind of drawing on elements of of the kind of Escape to the Chateau series and yeah. the, the really cheesy elements of, of home improvement and that sort of thing to make a, a kind of an interesting, hopefully, and it, and it also deals with um, grief and bereavement along the side of that as well. So that's that's what I'm working on at present. So I guess I guess more of the same, um, and uh, just really. 
trying to write more short stories as well, which which I'll, I'm hoping to work on. That's my target for this year because I do like writing to a short length as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at at the moment. That sounds fantastic. Um, so that just about does it for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of Gillian's links to social media and website, and of course, where you can pick up the books mentioned, uh, will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and another huge thank you to you, Gillian, of course, for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.